0: Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today we're welcoming the incredible Nicholas Vince here. Uh, besides being a director, a poet, artist, podcast host on The Chattering Hour, uh, his roles uh, with his prolific work with cl- the legendary Cloud Barker as the Chatterer in Hellraiser 1 and 2 and Kinski in uh, two reasons why. I grew in love with horror growing up as a kid and two reasons why I was kind of contemplating if I wanted to enjoy this type of genre. So, uh, Nicholas, it's great to have you on here.
1: Thank you very much indeed, John. It's always amazing me when people say the incredible Nicholas Vins and I'm thinking, yeah, really?
0: Well, it's one of those things, too, where it's like, and I do want to talk about this. You spent some of your most legendary roles have been under this crazy amount of makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's so funny to see you now. And then obviously we're going to talk about your one-man show, I Am Monsters, where mm-hmm. it's you out there in your flesh just literally being yourself, doing this stuff. So it's, it's really cool to see kind of the face behind all these makeups and costumes and stuff like that.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think. Well, yes, I'm. I'm happy to talk about I Am Monsters because um, we just announced something pretty special concerning that, which I think you are the first official person that I have spoken to about the new project. So, yeah, I'll look well, forward that's... to talking about that.
0: Let's kind of jump into it, because I know, and I don't. try not to date these episodes because of the pandemic and stuff, and I like to talk about stuff that's always everlasting, but from a a creative standpoint on your end, obviously your life was affected, um, specifically your one-man show you do, and I know you were trying to do stuff with conventions, and hopefully that starts up again, but the idea of the pandemic from a creative standpoint, did that inspire you more, or at the beginning were you kind of like man how
1: what 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 am I going to do now that's really interesting I think okay so I, I the first thing I wanted to do was not do anything with horror because I just thought oh my god the world is such a horrible place and it's, it's really not good out there let me see if I can try doing something humorous and I started I put together these things called life of a dog and just tried a few cartoons um and just as i was about to launch that properly then my manager chris rowe invited me to host the chattering app and then of course you know this was a complete swerve and took over my life for most about the last year and a half Um, And I am so grateful because I got to speak to so many different people. I mean, we kicked off with Malcolm McDowell, which is one, you know, just so much fun. But I got to speak to some really, really really interesting people. So to answer your question more precisely. Yeah, I think, as is so true in most of my life, if not other people's, I suspect, just when you think you've got it all sorted out, you know exactly what's going on, something else comes along. And yeah, so I think initial reaction was, oh, I couldn't really imagine writing horror. And then did the cha- along came the chattering hour, and I got to speak to so many, as I say, inspiring people like Lynn Shea, Malcolm McDowell, um, Darren Lynn and all these amazing people. That kind of like, oh, actually, yeah, I remember why horror is important. I don't know if you saw, I think it was a university in New York that pointed out the fact that people who enjoyed horror were doing better in the pandemic than people who didn't. Yes. Because we're just basically, we're very used to facing our fears and dealing with uncertain situations, going through that kind of stuff. So I I did write a short story um, for an anthology that was supposed to come out the end of last year, I think is coming out the end of this year. So I did do some horror writing. I did do the, you know, the shows. Um, and But yeah, immediate reaction was, oh my God, this is just horrible.
0: <laughs> Your uh, The episode with Lin Shay was a base, because obviously I'm familiar with her work, like with Insidious and James Wan, and like this kind of late career resurgence she had in this genre. But it was... What when I, when I found doing my stuff, talking to people like yourself or Cade Hodder or some of these other people in horror, they're, they're so interesting because they play some of these most vile characters or misunderstood characters, scary creatures, monsters, beasts, wherever they are. But underneath that, it's like the human aspect that they bring to those type of characters. That's kind of what seeps through. And I, and just talking to you now, the first five minutes, I'm like... Man, this guy played the chatterer, and here he is talking so eloquently. And it's it just, for me, it's just so fascinating that someone like Lynn or yourself can become these type of characters very outside their norm.
1: Yeah, I think it is interesting, isn't it? And Lynn Shea, particularly, I thought her observation of what it is to be an actor and the fact that she talked about when you're on film, it's the job of the director and everybody else to create a safe space to tell the truth and i thought that was a particularly profound insight into what being an actor is about and really what as artists we're all trying to do um really i was just watching we got a thing over here called britain's got talent i'm sure you've got america's got talent so i was just watching a clip earlier on this evening um i should put this in a little bit of context i live in a town just outside london called croydon and david bowie was really uncomplimentary about croydon because he went to art school here and he said you know if you want to describe the worst of anything, it's so fucking Croydon. And I've always thought, you know what? I want to, I really think there's an awful lot going on in Croydon. And I think it's so fucking Croydon. It's so excellent. And there was a young lad, he's 22 years old. He's doing an audition with a 17 year old. He's a rapper. Uh, he's just, he literally just met on that day the 17-year-old pianist. They'd been during pandemic. We're talking over Instagram, and they were put together this song. They got the golden buzzer. They're through to the semi-final. After, and what he did was rap about his life. He rapped about how he was not a good boy, how he made some really bad mistakes, and he really wanted to tell his brothers, "Don't do what I did." I think. This is something that, now that's obviously musical and it's wonderful and I just found it very inspiring. But I think in horror, we go to the dark side and we explore the dark side. We explore, you know, horror is about love, death, sex, and starshine. Sex, love, yeah, it's a quote to Clive yes. Barker, short story. It's about finding out those parts of ourselves that we really don't want to acknowledge. It's about asking questions about what happens after death. It's about wanting to be immortal and suddenly thinking about Frankenstein and and reanimation and and so on. And I think that that is to do with Lin Shay is about, and this is why I do think horror is important, is that it gives us a safe space in which to explore these things and find out and i think that's important for us as human beings if you believe utterly that you are nothing but good you're not a human being as far as i'm concerned
0: right the confidence it takes for you to start up the i am monsters this one bad show you do it's just you on stage. Like there's no mm. elaborate costume and stuff. Is it difficult for you to jump into those characters where visually you're kind of like, am I doing this right? Like what kind of confidence oh. do you have to have to kind of be- portray yourself in this manner? Because it's for someone to put themselves out there like this. I, I would believe that if I look at, but if I, if I had other actors with me or makeup, I could kind of hide in the scene mm. or whatever, mm. but this is just you raw in the flesh. So what's that kind of like that thought process when you start to put this together?
1: Terrifying! No, really, really, really scary. Because what I, what has just happened has just been announced. Uh, um, is that I am going to be filming the show, uh, and in fact, later on this evening, I've got a production meeting where we're going to decide the dates of the filming. I'm going to be working with the guys who did a film that I was part of called Book of Monsters. Uh, it's Jeris and Paul, and I'm really looking forward to it. And it's Okay, it was two things that happened. A, I looked at the script again, uh, because when I wrote the script, it was a running time of just under the hour. Now, to make that into a feature-length film, you know, now there has to be over 84 minutes. Then I had to look at the material again, and actually, as I was... Oh, I'd forgotten I'd left that bit out. I'd forgotten I'd left that bit out in trying to... Because it. So you now get to know an awful lot more about my story. And yeah, it's terrifying on It's very emotional. I was looking at the script the other day and I thought, I don't want to look at this again for at least a day or two, because it is upsetting because I'm talking about some very difficult and painful parts of my life. I mean, I don't want people to go away and think, oh God, it's just miserable, or is Nick just whinging on? It's not. It's about what I have learned about myself and what it. you know. Monsters is such an emotive term. It's such a, yeah, and I've portrayed monsters. Chatterer is, I know, is really, really scary for people. Kinski and Nightbreed. The third, you know, the third film I did with Clive is a completely different type of a monster. I think you uh, hopefully, in fact I know the audience has huge sympathy for this guy who's got the most extraordinary face of all the other monsters in media. So yeah, I forgot the original oh, what is it like to do It's terrifying it's just scary, really I, and Terror can be debilitating. You can either freeze, panic, um, which means that you just seize up and can't do anything, or it can be exciting, and it—it's just like it's scary, but it's like being on the roller coaster. You do it because you—you know—you want that thrill of going. Ah, I know I'm safe, but oh god, this—I can't look. And I think in doing, I am monsters that's one of the things I wanted to explore is what my experience has been, how I've dealt with my fears, what I've got, what I went through physically um, in my life in order to get to where I am today and so on. And also, but looking at the fact that I was a gay man in the 1980s, not a good time. Right, big, You know, really not a good time um, and to deal with, and, and I think it's the fact that of course, you, as I'm sure everybody else, we, we talked about not talking about politics, but it's very easy for people who want to make the vi- victims of people who are powerless, but who appear scary. that weird contradiction in terms. Many, and it's usually refugees. We've got a lot of politicians all over the world. It's a really easy group to victimize because they are not us. And again, Iron Monsters is about exploring them, the other, the not us. So, those are things I think are you know kind of important. I think we always need to be we always need to be aware of how we are behaving and acting towards other people.
0: There's a, I kind of want to talk about that, being a gay man in the 1980s, mm. the, the idea that you had to hide yourself, you couldn't truly be yourself because you're not going to get work, you're not going to get this mm-hmm. There's a there could be a girl or a guy today listening to when this episode airs that is in the same shoes as you. Now hopefully we've moved ahead as a people where more understanding. But mm-hmm. what advice do you give to that guy or girl that is could be gay, but truly is a creative a mind like yourself, but is scared to truly be themselves? What advice do you have to though that that person that'd be like, hey, just be yourself and don't let this stymie your creative output what you want to give to the earth.
1: find other people i think is a good thing to do i didn't um it took me a long time to realize how important that was and i think i suffered more than i needed to because of that um i think finding other people I find other weirdos but this is why i love horror You know, the people who, the fans of horror, the people who I meet at convention, conventions, I don't, when I say weirdos, I I don't mean that in any form disparagingly, but find people are slightly out there who just are, who don't fit with the norms and just acknowledge, I get it. I think if you're a teenager, if you're at school, you want to fit in. Uh, I remember talking to Clive about this um, back in the 90s and he was saying, you know, tribes trouble with human beings is we all want to belong to tribes which is both good and bad you get a lot of support from a tribe but the trouble is if you then believe that your tribe is better than everybody else's tribe then you try and dominate and then you try and disparage it etc then then you start getting conflict that's not good so my advice is listen it's your journey I do not know, and I cannot know, your anybody's circumstance. But there are some simple, self-evident truths. You have to find courage somewhere inside yourself, and at some point, you are going to have to say, <laughs> in the immortal words of the song, "I am what I am." Um, that's tremendously freeing. It, but it takes huge amount of courage, and I think it is just a question of how secure you feel and how much support you get from your family um i, I, I have wonderful nephews and nieces and i'm thinking one in particular um not gay he's straight um but cheerfully went into school one day dressed um superbly inappropriately for a boy and it's just like Good on you, mate. You just had the courage to go do that. You're just like, that's what I want to, you know, that's what I'm going right. to, I admire people like that. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, the piece of advice is find other people, seek, seek help. If you're suffering, seek help. If you, there are lots of people you can talk to. Talking really helps. Lots of helplines, lots of people who really do want to just help you and will listen. Um, I think, that's what's really important is that having somebody to listen to you, not tell you how to live your life, how to solve your problem, but just having somebody to listen to can be tremendously helpful.
0: Well, my, the reason why I fell in horror movies, my uncle, uh, Tommy, and I don't talk about this a lot. Um, he died in 96 of AIDS. And this was a, he came my dad's brother from a Italian family where that generation, uh, on paper, it was perceived that they would not understand, like, what are you doing, like all this stuff. It wasn't the case, very supportive and stuff like that. But he was the reason why I got to love He, he stuck me in to watch all the r and horror movies. Uh, it just I, I fell in love with the idea of fantasy, thriller, horror, all because of him. And one of the first movies we watched together, and this is late night, was Nightbreed. And. Before he passed away, as I was younger, I was kind of like, I just love this. There's monsters. There's, there's characters. It's, it's just awesome. It's this new world. It's awesome. He passes away in 96 and I get older. And I still watch this movie twice a year. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago I watched it. I, I just sat back and go, man, like, I understand now where I look, perceive this film as people that look at these people that are monsters, whether now back in the 80s, being gay you're considered a monster or mm. you're not mm. human and the social commentary in a film like that as i got older i realized man this is a perfect like it's almost like the yin and the yang to what was going on at the time to sure you could they look kinski looks different he's got the big chin and the crazy mm. face but he's no different than nicholas vince who's the normal human being who's a gay man or mm. my uncle and it's like it's just so unique and cool to me that a film at that time coming from a mind like Clive's, it just makes you think as you get older. And I think that that's the power to his films and the role you did in that movie, where it's just like, we're all monsters. It's just accept people for being different monsters. And again, I, I can't thank you enough for that role, like how it kind of helped me really just fall in love with horror.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I, it, it is interesting. I mean, I have a number of people come up to me over the years and just say, as people who are gay or somewhere else on, that. I mean, we're talking about people who are gay, and and I think when I use the term gay, I mean LGBTQIA plus. Yeah. Anybody anywhere on that spectrum, including straight people. Right. Um, because you're all part of the same family, as far as I'm concerned. But I I do, you know, it's where I think it was inspirational for people because. A, the monsters are the good guys. It's very right. clear that the, the bad guys, the monsters in the film, are the religious bigots, yes. the guys with the guns, the intolerant ones, they're the real monsters. Or, you know, the, the, or Chenard, the wonderful David Cronenberg, yes. okay. um, playing Chenard. But it, it's Eigerman. And, and the sons of the free, uh, you know, those guys are the real monsters um, as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, everybody in Midian just actually just wants, they've taken themselves away. They're not harming anybody. They're not, you know, they, it's not like they go out and rampage right. local villages or anything. They really do stick until Boone comes along and Laurie and bring all that attention on them they're really just living this very quiet life amongst themselves and anybody who is a monster is welcome there and i think people have said that they you know really enjoyed it and identified it and found a lot of courage in that
0: how important is it the idea of trust when it comes to work with somebody like clive barker there is a sense mm. he knows and like if you could kind of talk about how you guys met because i think it's super fascinating Um, how you kept in touch and that he offered you the first role in Hellraiser but when it comes to working with someone like Clyde there has to be a trust or that connection where it's like he's not going to put you in a bad place to succeed you're going to do your best to make him succeed it's like you have that kind of unique way of just putting it all together and really trusting each other to pull us off
1: yeah I think that has a lot to do with the friendship um, in my case, and Doug and Simon Bamford, um, and in the first movie, Grace, who was Clive's cousin. I think that a lot of you know, that helps a lot. But of course, the rest of the crew weren't Clive's mates when you know, he managed to assemble an amazing class uh, cast player Higgins, uh, Andrew Robbins and um, and and the backstage guy, you know, Robin Vigeon, who was the cinema truck cinematographer. This comes back, uh, I think, uh, one of your earlier questions about art and being gay and being different and believing in yourself. I think the thing, again, going back in shade, telling truth, the safe space to tell truth. As artists, our duty is to tell our truth. Now, I'm making the distinction between the truth and our truth, because our perspective on the world as a human being is completely different. Watching something the other day, you're saying, you know, you are unique. If you look at the fantastic coincidences and happenstances that came together to create you as a human being in terms of your parents meeting, their grandparents meeting, their great-great-grandparents meeting, and so on, you know, right back until the early right. dawn of humanity. It is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary, that you and I exist as we are. And we are totally and utterly unique. Now, the problem is with human beings, we do like to put things into boxes and categorize them to help us understand things and I think this is one of the you're talking about trust and and creativity I think because Clive was wonderful at creating a safe space in order to tell truth right. as, as Lynn mentioned I think th- this is what why one of the reasons why Hellraiser worked because he managed to get a whole load of Talented, talented people. I'm thinking now of image animation as well, the guys who actually physically created the makeup and gave them permission to experiment and have fun and try out ideas. And, you know, always talk to Clive about your idea and just say, I'm not happy about this. I, I, it's not, I don't understand it. And that's an okay thing to say as an actor, is just say, you know, it's. I was remember watching, going back to Malcolm McDowell. I was in Los Angeles a few years ago, and he was being interviewed by Gary Oldman before a screening of Clockwork Orange. And talking about acting with Kubrick um, in Malcolm's case and um, Coppola in Gary Oldman's case. And it's just saying, yeah, these directors just expect you to know your job and to get on, and do, you know, they don't want to give you direction. I was listening to Debbie Reynolds being interviewed the other day when she was working with Alfred Hitchcock. She was getting really wound up because he wasn't giving her direction. He's already, eventually had a chat with him. He said, my dear, I only give you a direction if I think I need to. Really bad Alfred Hitchcock impression there. And I think that is part of the fun of being an actor, is that if you feel safe, uh, it takes courage again. You have to overcome. Again, going back to what's it like about laying my life bare on stage. I'll never forget that first night standing backstage and just thinking, oh my God, what have I done now? <laughs> it's like, what have I done now? Um, what mess have I got myself into now? I mean, I was really lucky. There was, was always really great. I remember walking onto stage to applause. That always helps. If you walk on stage and people are already implor- applauding, that really helps. Settle the nerves. It's like, oh, I'm amongst friends. And actually, one of the great things about doing a one-man show is... It was a fairly small audience, deliberately a small auditorium that I was um, speaking to so that I could see, and we lit it so that I could see the audience. They weren't in darkness, I could half light. I couldn't necessarily, I could see my friends on the front row passing a bottle of champagne between the two of them. As friends do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was that kind of show, it was that kind of atmosphere. but you get a sense of the audience and I was, yeah, actually, no what? I'm gonna tell the I'm gonna tell these stories as if I'm just telling it to France. It's obviously there's a we mic'd me and, and made sure that I could be heard so that I didn't have to project too much, because then it becomes a performance rather, and when you're dealing with your own life. I mean, there is a performance, and in fact, part of the show has got performance of three characters' readings um, in the original version from uh, three books, which I'm not going to attempt to name off the top of my head because oh, actually, no, I can think I can get all three. Dracula, uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, and The Phantom of the Opera. That's different because that I was definitely reading, you know, then I was right. definitely portraying a character to kind of explore how other creators have looked at what a monster is and people's reactions to them.
0: I've had uh, Thomas G. Waits on the show, the actor, and he talked a lot about the, some of the stage stuff he does with Macbeth with Pacino on Broadway and a bunch of these off-Broadway things he would do. And it, what got me really interesting about it, and you kind of just hinted about it, is when you go out there one night, the audience is gonna react differently to a uh, maybe a, a the way you say a line or the humor or the not humor, so as you go out the second night for your, your type of show you do, you you have to uh, it's to kind of talk with your mindset because you have to what you think is funny in the crowd lasts one night could be like silence the next night and how do you how do you kind of navigate through that as how easy is it for you to kind of read a crowd or read a room where it's like mm-hmm. you know how the show is gonna go.
1: That's really interesting question. Um, that really is, to use a phrase of one of my old managers used, cock on the block time. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I, I know. It's just like, yeah, time to put your cock on the block. Are you going to do this or you're not going to do it? You, you, you just have to go for it sometimes you mistime it and you think oh that was my fault sometimes it just doesn't land and you'd you dealt with science i think it's understanding you're never going to get it 100 percent every night there is a wonderful story there was a great british actor called laurence olivier Oh, back in the 19, oh God, his career starts in the 1930s yeah. through to, yeah, right up until the jazz singer, um, Neil Diamond. And he, you know, amazing. Oh, a, a Marathon Man, uh, opposite Dustin Hoffman, amazing yeah, actor. He did, I mean, in the days when people used to black up to play Othello, he played Shakespeare's Othello. And it was a tour de force and everyone loved it. And he was a very declamatory actor. You know, he was from the old school. He was a big, did this most amazing aff- performance. And it was John Gilgood who was in it with him. So that he came off, Olivia came off stage one night and just look shattered after what was probably the most brilliant performance he'd done. He had soared that night, and Kilgour said, "What's wrong? That was brilliant. And, what is the matter, Larry?" And he just said, "I can't remember how I did it. I don't know how I did it." And I think it, this alludes to what you're talking about. It's a two-way street. When you are performing in front of a live audience, it is very much about who is in the audience and how, therefore, how comfortable you feel and what's going on in the audience, and therefore what bits you think. And I, it's almost like t- telepathy because I think there's an awful lot more going on in the communication between an actor and an audience just like me standing up on stage and so on and the ring. there is a kind of a magic there um and it's you just get used to it and you just hope and you just you cast your yeah it's cock on the block time basically
0: <laughs> what i love about art all aspects of art the idea that it can be visceral uh it could it can make a point, it can make you think. And I love that whether it's a a vulgar line or a very dark poem or a a movie like Hellraiser that's visceral and violent, I, I love the idea that it pushes the boundary of art. And I think that art sometimes, mm. there is so much censorship nowadays when it comes to art. Now, I'm not talking about if there's artists that is uh, doing racist or homophobic, like there's no place for that. But art that, like the good art we're talking about, do you feel that we're getting to a point in our lives where just because you might not understand the art or get it, that there are people trying to censor art or trying to ban that book because it's it makes you think differently or paintings and stuff like that?
1: Yes, there are. Funnily enough, again, locally, I've just been reading articles about... Um, <laughs> they invited in an author who was a uh, young adult author into a Catholic school. His books happen to include gay people. I don't think they're even the central characters, but there's obviously very humane treating and and positive support of gay characters in this book. And the archdiocese, diocese, archdiocese, I really don't understand how the Catholic church is organized. So I'm not sure if it's a bishop or whoever it was, but basically they said, no, you can't have this guy in, to which the governors said, no, it's important. We know that we ha- it's important that our children get to understand this. I mean, a couple of schools recently for various reasons, and I was amazed to see on the corridor, in the corridors of um, schools with like 16 year olds, positive Posters for gay people. And again, the the whole rainbow spectrum. No, I mean, this, I mean, literally we've got um, governors being sacked, teachers going on strike, governors being replaced, uh, parents going on strike, parents accusing the school of wanting to teach porn, saying our kids must be protected. I think this is one of the no sorry we, you know it seems that you're absolutely right there for every step we seem to take forward there seems to be an you know and actually it does appear to be pendulums. the more you push the pendulum in terms of acceptance the harder the those who would not accept push back and I'm, I'm sure it's based on fear and misunderstanding in, in all these things so I think I've forgotten the question entirely, as I usually do. What was it you were asking me?
0: No, like the idea that art is being censored. Yeah, art is being
1: censored. Yes, it is. And I think it's it's difficult. Value creation, I think, is a wonderful Buddhist concept. What value is the art creating? What is it teaching about ourselves? What does a book like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein teach about the human condition what is what am I saying about the human I think every every artist when you pick up pen paper paintbrush effectively you're saying I think this is what I've learned this is what I know this is what I've imagined this is but this I think the truth, truth is what makes great art you know about the human condition that if it enlightens if it shine enlighten shine light upon as, as you know, the human if it helps us explore if it helps us understand that to me is, is is great art and i think when you there are there will always be these voices i think because and I'm not picking out any particular religion at all.
0: Right.
1: Uh, because there are many, it doesn't just have to be a, li- a religion. There are all sorts of circumstances in which basically people want to belittle and dominate and control other people for their own advantage. Um, that's nothing to do with politics. That's just because we're human right. beings, basically. Um, in buddhism it's known as the world of animality i'm stronger than you therefore i'm going to punish you i'm going to take it out because you're you're weaker than me i'm going to victimize you i want i'm weaker than him therefore i'm going to cower before him or her um so i, I think yeah yeah censorship you have to be careful. You want, I think kids today, God, so different to when I was growing up. You know, from what I understand, that there is a real concern that I do not think it's healthy that young. When I say young, I mean pre-pubescent or early pubescent teenagers are exposed to porn and violent porn. I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think it teaches good values, in terms of respecting other people. I'm constantly having to edit my my language to try and make sure I'm clear about what it is I'm saying. You know, just kind of love each other, understand that everybody's different, and that everyone has a different experience to yourself, and accept that. One of the key phrases I came up with during uh, the pandemic when I was thinking about this the show is that when we celebrate difference and do not fear it, then we create peace. When, when we celebrate difference and do not fear it, then we create peace. When you can really understand and you know just think, oh my God, you're so different to me. I, I really have no understanding about your life or what it is, is you're trying to say. Um, then you just have to step back and say, okay, tell me a story. I, I, I want to know your story because I, I don't understand. Um, I want to know more about you. I think this, this is wonderful. I can say all of these things when I'm in an interview situation. And I know that I'll go out tomorrow and just think, oh, you did, You know. <laughs> this stuff does not come naturally to right. me. You know, and I think it doesn't come naturally to most people. You have to think about it. You have to really concentrate hard to respect other people and learn from other people.
0: When it comes from your when it comes to releasing your creativity, whether it's writing for Marvel comics or doing a one-man show or being in front of the camera or behind the camera, do you get the same release mentally and physically as you do for each medium or is each one provides something a little bit differently for you at that time when you needed it
1: no oh, really really good question it's different i think it, it, it is different because honestly i think it has a lot to do with the number of people involved gotcha right when i'm writing it's me and a keyboard, or actually, usually in the first draft, it's me and a pencil, a propelling pencil and paper, and I'm going, mm, trying to get this out of my head before I all forget. Oh, like there's an idea, shove that down over there. Or if I'm doing art, I'm just thinking, yeah, okay, how does that work? Going. So it depends. Um, when you're working with a group of people on film or theatre, then it's a very different experience because it comes back to what I was saying earlier. It's much easier if you're able to talk it over with other people because it's a little bit more terrifying in the rehearsal room, I guess. I've not been in the rehearsal room for a long time, actually. Um, certainly before since before the pandemic. It's because you're naked, you're, you're there. I mean, right. the great thing about being a writer on your own is you just think, oh, that's crap. I'll just, strike that out and nobody will ever know <laughs> when you're in a rehearsal room there with the director or it's like oh god that is really scary um, so it just you know in terms of release and satisfaction and so on it yeah it, it depends it's different I mean there is nothing quite like applause um, I I because it, it really is a mark of a job well done. You know, you really are getting your homework marked by however many people. Um, and it's horrible when it, when it goes wrong. <laughs> it can be so soul destroying. Um, I remember being at school when I, was in, uh, when I was 17 years old, doing a play and literally getting through is I'm watching people stand up and walk out. And I just thought, like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. It was it was not a proper theater, it was a school hall. So you could literally watch people standing up and walking out and going, oh, rubbish. it's Like, And just, you know, it's like, there's another hour and a half, there's another hour of this to go, okay, gonna do my best. Just. Don't look into the audience. (laughs) Just concentrate on what's going on on stage. I remember yeah, that was a lesson I learned very young. You just have to keep on going irrespective of what's going on out there. Um, It was tough though, that was horrible.
0: Uh, Can I have a two part question here? How is it tough for you to, or is there a part of Kinski or the chatter that stays with you as you move forward through your life and career? And two, what I love about The Shatter is that you've kind of put this initiative out there to write more about this character with a backstory and mm. future stuff. It's like why, what was it about that character that, that you wanted to be, be fleshed out more?
1: this is really interesting. I think it kind of stems from part of my process as an actor is that I write, will usually write a backstory that's not in the script Gets, I think, as an actor, we all do. Isn't, this is nothing unusual for actors. We, I'm sure we all do this in some form or another. Is like you need to know what what they were doing before they walked on onto camera, and what they're expecting to happen whilst they're there and afterwards. In the same way that if you walk into a, you know, even if that means walking into a room and not expect, not knowing what you expect. You, you've got to have some idea in your head as to what brought that character up until that point. Um, what I love with Kinski and, and Nightbreed, of course, is that Clive actually wrote backstories after we'd done the film, funnily enough. Um, so that when I went on to do and was invited to write for Marvel Comics for the Nightbreed stuff and Hellraiser, I, 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 it springs out of that, I think, I do love writing. I do love storytelling and it just kind of, and it's just, I think particularly in terms of Hellraiser cause I had a couple of cracks at it. The most recent version and the prayers for desire is the one that I'm most yep. happy with. Um, there were quite, you know, how does, spoilers for anyone who's not seen both films, <laughs> Chatterer is revealed as somebody a particular sort of somebody, how did that person end up in hell, um, was a question that just kept on coming back. And he's like, I want to work this out. I want to write something about this. I want to write about what my view of this is. And in doing that, then it becomes a meditation on love and sex and desire, which is obviously, as human beings, what we're interested in. And obviously in the works of Clive Barker is something that he's incredibly interested right. in this. Um, so I don't think it's a surprise that I've ended up working with Clive so much because we share obviously, through our friendship, share many of the same concerns and interests as artists. So, I think that's what kind of drove me on to do it. And the fact that people wanted to pay me money to do it. Yeah. I'll I'll go for that. That's, that's always a great thing to experience to have.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier the conventions and stuff like that. Like when's the last time you were with Doug or Clive or the cast Hmm. of *Nightbreed*? and like how unique is it for you to see the, the the impact that those roles and films have had on people. And like we kind of talked about earlier where you go to a convention and you'll see doctors, cops, uh, white, black, gay, straight, Ukrainian, Russian. There's every walk of life at these conventions and they've all been positively affected by these characters and movies. And it's like for you to see that and maybe be next to Doug and kind of look at each other and be like, man, how cool is this that years later, we still have this positive impact on people through our art.
1: it it is extraordinary and kind of hard obviously it's not quantifiable tremendously grateful honestly i talked about applause being the ultimate marking of one's homework that is obviously very very true but also you know it's kind of getting you it's kind of like getting an A-plus every so often, (laughs) do miss it, Um, talking to people. But also, again, just listening to their stories. I am a great listener. I try my best to listen because I learn an awful lot more than I do than by talking. Listening to people's stories and why it's important to them and how... you know, it's gone through phases over the years. I remember we went through a long period of people saying, oh, yeah, first time I watched it was because my brother dared me $10 to watch it, or my babysitter. Was, and I'm thinking your babysitter was encouraging. Um, yeah, that went through. Or, oh, yeah, no, I watched it up in my bedroom because we had cable. And I could watch the films by myself. Oh no, I used to sit down with my parents. I used to sit with my mum and dad, or there was, a, or is you, yourself, an, an uncle, or yeah. some, you know, family. And I think that's great. I mean, that's kind of how I came to horror movies in the first place. As, a, as an aside, it was through my mum. Her, in, I mean, the horror movies we're talking about were the black and white Universal movies. Yeah. I'm talking about. Little, AD, yeah videos. yeah 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 i'm watching talk about watching those on tv late at night in the 1970s i, I think it, it's wonderful I, I mean it's so inspiring it is so inspiring that and i do find it amazing that and again i'm terribly terribly grateful that it's still true that people are Oh, God, it's coming up for 40 years. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we passed the 35th anniversary, 35 years this year, the release of Hellraiser. So it's not that long before we hit the 40th anniversary of Hellraiser, and that's phenomenal. That's amazing. And I I do love the fact that it's new audiences, and it's it's parents telling their children oh, by the way, you might find this kind of cool. I, You know, I think that's extraordinary. So I get to meet people of all ages. I mean, I remember going through, going through one period where Chatterer was, or Chatterbox, as they, he tended to be known, was very popular amongst boys. I mean, like eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old boys. I meant a few of them <laughs> at conventions. I was thinking we did not make this movie for people your age. But yeah, you, it's obviously through your parents. You're not
0: right. They're obviously here. You're not here by
1: yourself. Um, it's, it's extraordinary. Absolutely amazing.
0: I love that even this day and age, someone like Clyde Barker, uh, David Crowderberg, all these prolific Stephen King, all these people, mm. authors, the horror genre, whether whatever art form it is, they're still push to still create and still do something different like yourself. Mm. Like there's no resting on the laurels. And it's like, how do you kind of keep doing, I mean, you still have your passion for what you do and for what you represent and your brand and how you want to keep pushing yourself. But I mean, there's people out there that will win one championship, which is amazing, but it'd be like, I'm done. Or, Hey, I wrote one book or I wrote one book of poems or I, I created this one painting and I'm happy not to take away from those people but what mm. drives you to release more poems to do what one, more one-man shows like to keep directing keep writing. like what pushes you to keep being that, that just moving forward
1: it's it's the it's the desire to tell stories and the, the fact that my brain is this sizzling thing of like images or ideas or phrases or things that I learn I've always said that you know, youth is nothing to do uh, with age. Obviously it has a lot to do with, with physical age in terms of energy levels, but having a youthful attitude to m- in my mind means curiosity, wanting to learn more. I talked about meeting new people and, and, right. and really trying to do my best to not be as scared of people and just try and really listen to people's stories. Just insatiable curiosity um, and learning more. I I know how little I know uh, and how much I have to learn. I recently became really active in um, the Green Party over here. In fact, we just finished doing that. That's mostly what I've been spending the last three months uh, in really intensely um, local elections because I do care about the planet and ecology yeah. and you know we've got to sort this shit out folks yes. we've really yeah. got to do <laughs> and i think that has something funnily enough i think it has a lot to do with the fact that i was i watched the moon landing on television Crazy. i am of that generation i am of the generation that saw the photograph on the front pages of the newspapers, it's known as the blue marble, it's earth from the moon. And you just, and it was really the first time that anyone had actually seen a photograph of this and you realize just how small this planet is, how much we are all interdependent upon one another. Um, Again, I've lost the question because I've gone off into one of my.
0: <laughs> no, you you answer because we were talking about the idea that how do you keep pushing yourself to keep. Yeah,
1: I, I I think it, so. Th- this all comes back to this insatiable curiosity and caring about where we are and and so on. I. It's about telling somebody. I want to put saying I've got his name wrong. There's a gentleman, there's a, a uh, reporter who reports on these things. And he said, it's about telling a story. To be able to communicate about the eco- ecological crisis we're going through at the moment. you've got to be able to tell a story to make people understand, to help. You can't make somebody understand anything if they choose not to. Um, but to show, I think. So that's a lot of what goes through my mind at the moment. But also a lot of what goes through my mind at the moment in terms of stories is about um, technology. It's about impossible moral choices a story i've been thinking about for (laughs) at least two or three years and i just can't quite nail how i'm going to do it and make this work and it requires an awful lot of research for a short story because it's a historical (laughs) short story um and i'm not sure about the payoff but it's like that is kind of what it is as far as i'm concerned i just have these things going on in my head it's the The urge to communicate, as one of my teachers said at drama school, is just this tremendous need to try and tell stories while you can, because I think that human beings are creatures of story. Um, Are you familiar with the works of Terry Pratchett?
0: I'm familiar, but I've not really versed really much. Okay, okay. I well, know the they, name, but I know the face. You know the name and yes. Discworld
1: and the yes. whole, like. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of Terry Pratchett and who's he, written at least two or three books all around the theme of the fact, the power of stories. And because stories is how we understand the world. You know, the, the, yeah, I, the, as I talked about earlier on about putting people into categories and boxes because it just helps us understand, it, try, you know, we understand patterns. It's why it's really easy to see the image of a face in a piece of toast because our brain is hardwired to recognize patterns because it's a self-defense mechanism uh and so on so yeah
0: the the stories it's cool you brought that up because like growing up my mom's side of the family they're all dairy farmers up in western new york and generations coming over and being farmers all this stuff it's growing up as a kid even now like when we started to do a bonfire we listened to our grandmother our uncles the older generation tell stories about different people growing up like what it was like when the amish first moved in or what what the real what wars were back then or what the great depression was like all this stuff where it's like these stories like who's going to be the people that keeps telling these stories or is it on our generation and when i say our, I mean i look at myself and it's like i have two younger sisters and i remember when you talked about the newspaper when princess diana died i, remember, I still mm-hmm. have that that picture on my paper i still have when 9 11 towers happened yeah. there's certain events like that but then the, the generation after me, I'm like, you guys have Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on your papers. You have no one that's sharing these stories. It's all TikTok. It's all garbage. And it's like, where's the history and story? Who is going to be telling these stories that are going to last generations and not five minutes and just burn out? And it's, I don't know, it just, it just makes me so frustrating because the power of stories and just putting it out there.
1: Yeah, I, it's, I think you raised a couple of really, really interesting things. I think it's easy for people who are really not involved in TikTok and 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 so on, just to say, and yet we have through TikTok we have a guy who sang the shanties on TikTok, and, and I love it. Was a, <laughs> oh, was was a postman and gave up his job and was now recording because he brought this whole genre of music back. Because it's all, you know, what you have to remember is yeah, that we talk about the 19th, but it's just a handful of newspapers owned by an even smaller number of right. people. Um, again, I was walking, working, uh, watching something the other day about the fact that Elon Musk buying Twitter is huge in terms of one man's influence upon the world. People talk about Rupert Murdoch and his yes. evil empire of papers yeah. and the right yeah. wing and Fox News. It's nothing, drop in the ocean. When you think that Elon Musk can just say and let in who he wants and kick out who he wants and so on and i I think the the real challenge there for lawmakers is to really really wake up and understand the power of these things um I think the stories are there. I think YouTube is amazing. I spend far too yes. much of my time watching yes. YouTube I do very definitely find people who tell me and there's a guy called Andrew Millison, who um, Millison, Millison, who does a, a channel and he talks about a thing called permaculture, the idea of rain harvesting and he reports on what they're doing in an, India to turn barren landscape into highly productive farmland. And how this means that the communities who own that farmland no longer have to travel in the city when the drought comes because they're managing the water and they're keeping the water because of the way that they basically dig ditches and little barriers and they literally harvest rainwater and they keep it and it goes into the soil and it comes. There are so many, um, the biggest little farm is a, Is a wonderful documentary about a farm in California about saying, Yeah, we're going to go back to nature, but manage nature. And we're going to, you know, there are so many, there is a lot of hope out there. There are a lot of springs. So I think it's hard to find with all the noise. There is so much noise. Um, is what honestly I don't really get onto Facebook that much, don't really go onto Twitter. I tend to do hit and run posting. I think I yeah, oh, like smart. this. I'll go post that. And I'm probably not going to worry about response. You know, I'm terrible. I'm just really, really bad at social media from these perspectives. Um, and then, of course, I'm now that I'm doing, I mentioned, i uh, I am monsters in the filming, of course, we're going to start promoting that. And that means I'm going to have to get back onto social media properly and engage with people because I want them to see the film when it's released or whatever happens. To it.
0: And it's one of those things too, where, I mean, with technology, we're able to do this. I mean, mm. it, like you, I, I try and get away from the politics of, or that's necessarily the politics, but the, the name calling and the diatribe out there where you're just like, just be a good person right and just take out just be nice to each other so what if you think differently that's okay those are the type of people i want to associate myself with i find that mm. social media I mean, if you want to promote a movie or a book or a book of poems or a story like it's necessary evil i'm okay with that way but before i let you go mm. and this has been obviously this is one of my favorite episodes i've ever recorded What type of projects? I mean, obviously, we know I Am Monster is recording, but Mm. if people want to check out appearances will start up again or new works and stuff like that do you want them to go to your website like how do you want them yeah. to reach out to you kind of follow up to what you're doing
1: yeah i think go to the website as i say i'm really bad at facebook i think you're gonna find me more there and probably mostly facebook twitter really should do something with instagram um <laughs> really should do these things and we'll be doing more website if you want to find stuff there's nothing up there yet because we i don't really as i say it's been announced and i'm quite happy for people to know because it's out there in the world that i'm working on this once we've actually started filming then we will start releasing i think you know this is one of the reasons one of the things one of the many things i'm gonna have to talk about the production meeting later this evening okay so how are we going to release stuff yeah. uh into the world and just let people know what's going on and so on and, and there's all sorts of really interesting conversations happening about what might be happening In terms of appearances uh nothing concrete at the moment i wish it'd be very nice if there was did uh, you know they tend to happen when they happen and then the promoter will say yeah we've got these com- these guys coming across and then that's i'll oh, know well i can only reason.
0: i can only imagine what's the 40th anniversary of hellraiser hits so that year for you is going to be monumental yeah that's like, what to the I'm point really where it's into. like hey stop calling me i want to enjoy uh I want oh, no, enjoy I- breakfast I- in bed for just once in my house <laughs>
1: I'll probably say no. Please carry on calling, because you're always scared they're going to stop calling. Yeah, (laughs) the actors thing is always like, if I I say no, will they just suddenly stop calling? Um, It was why you did to say, yeah, um, I, I will find time at some point to get back to you. I just won't. Promise when it may take you know it takes me a long time to get around to a lot of things sometimes depending on what else is going on at the time right but yeah and and sir so, thank you very much indeed this has been you know a fun fun interview really interesting interview as far as I'm
0: awesome so. well uh, thank you Nicholas for everything and uh, wish you all the success and love and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime
1: thank you very much indeed
0: how's it going everyone John here the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat, and I do that using the CHOPFIT. Over the course of the past year, the CHOPFIT has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself, a feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SPEARCHOP10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10, for $10 off your CHOPFIT order, it'll change your life. Thank you.